Hey, anyway, great to have you here. We are part one of a series called The Heart of David. Uh, this will be our like kind of our end of summer series. This will take us all the way to kind of through, I guess, Labor Day-ish. And so uh, so glad that you're here. I, I love doing this during the summer because, you know, uh, the, the, the summer vibe is a little bit different than the fall and the spring. There, there's not quite as many uh, visitors or fluctuations. So you can, you can kind of take a look at something like uh, a book of the Bible or a person specifically in the Bible and kind of work through them for the next few weeks. And, and you know, if you have to miss a week, you're going to be okay because each individual message I think will stand alone. It'll, it'll be good, but I'm so glad that you're here. I hope that you'll be able to, as long as you're in town, join us for these next five weeks or so as we work through the heart of David. And you'll see why this is so important today. And here's, here's what I want to just open with is this, is do you know that there is more talked about the, this guy than any other character in the Old Testament. When you think about all the verses and all the chapters of the Bible, like when you look at Abraham, you're like, he's a big deal. You know, he's, well, he's got his own song, Father Abraham. And, and he's the patriarch, the father of our faith. He's, that, that guy's a big deal, right? Well, he has basically like 14 chapters of the Bible written about him. And like, that's, that's pretty good. And then Joseph, that's a big deal. He's got 14 chapters. Jacob, he's kind of a big deal. He's got 11. Elijah, the big prophet of the Old Testament, he's got 10, over 60 on the life of David. Just a ton on this guy. And, and again, what we'll find is this, that his life is so fascinating. If they could somehow go to Hollywood and do a legitimate interpretation of David's life just based on the Bible. Number one, it would be rated R, but man, it would be fascinating. It's incredible what this guy, what his life was like. And we'll look at this over the next few weeks, but today I want to set the tone. So if you've ever read a book, um, how many of you, when you read a book, you read the intro? Okay. How many of you skip the intro and go right into the chapters? That, that's me. I don't read the intro. Okay. So for us who skip the intro, I need you to dial in with me, especially because today will be kind of like the intro. And over the next few weeks, we'll begin to build and break down and, and, and dig deeper into some of these ideas. But today's just kind of the opening that I want to discuss who this guy, David, really is and where did he come from. And, and, and let me start with just kind of the context of everything. Everybody say Israel. Israel. Okay. Th- this side is so beating y'all today. I need you to step up your game. Everybody say Israel. Now y'all are with it. Israel. Israel is something that if you know the Bible really well, you kind of know the story of Israel, but it's, it's still a little bit weird and vague because of the way the Bible's laid out. Many people don't quite understand. But here's what you need to know is that Israel did not start as a nation. It actually started as a man. The guy was named Abraham and he had a son named Isaac and that guy had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 kids. And then basically Israel, of course, was in slavery for years in Egypt. We kind of know that story. That's Moses and the Exodus. But when they get out of Egypt, they move into what's referred to as the promised land back in the land of Canaan, where Israel currently is now. And they didn't even at that point really become a nation. They were incredibly tribal. So each of the 12 kids had their own name and every tribe was represented by each one of these characters or people, these sons. And so for years, even hundreds of years, there was no nation necessarily that that operated. There was no king. There was no really established government. It was incredibly tribal. And what happened is they were ruled by people called judges, which is basically means they were mostly like political and military leaders. And every time Israel would get in trouble, one of these guys referred to as a judge would just kind of rise up, raise up an army, overthrow the bad guy. And then hooray, we all win again. And then And then we'd repeat that cycle over and over and over again. And eventually, the last judge of the Bible in the Old Testament is this guy named Samuel. Everybody say Samuel. Samuel's a prophet. And and, and eventually, the people come to this guy, Samuel, and they say, hey, look, we, we, we really want a king. 
We're tired of this whole tribal mess that we've got going. We want a king. And here's why. Number one, you're old. This is uh, straight out of the Bible. You're old. Like, so you're not going to lead any much longer than you currently are. You, 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 you know, you're in the last chapter here. You're in the conclusion section here. And so you're old. Second of all, your kids are tripping. Your kids are crazy because many times, you know, whenever you had a leader, their kids would assume leadership in, in, in a kind of in a monarchy type way. And be like your kids are crazy. OK, they're all heathens. And so we don't want your kids leading or being in charge of anything. And then thirdly, we want a king because everybody else has a king. So it kind of comes off a little childish, right? It's almost like, well, I want one of those and, and because she has one of those or because Billy has one of those. And it kind of comes off a little bit childish. But they say we want a king because you're old. Your kids are crazy and we want to be like everybody else. And so they pleaded and pleaded with God. To say, God, please just give us a king. And there's an incredible principle and a point and a thought you need to pull from this. Is that sometimes in life, the thing that we think we want and the thing that we think we need and the thing that we pray for over and over and over again, many times God gives you the no because if you got it, you would like it. You think you want, or if you got it, it would destroy you. Or if you got it, it would make you even more miserable. But in your heart and in your mind, this is what I really, really need. And that's what God had done. He's like, no, 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 trust me. You don't need that right now. But they pleaded and they begged. And finally God said, fine, I'm going to give you a king, but you're not going to like it. So they give So the first king is this guy named Saul. So we've gone to Samuel. Now we go to Saul. Everybody say Saul. So Saul starts off as a pretty good king. Looks good. Military leader plays the part. Everybody's bought in. But eventually Saul, his heart kind of comes through. He's a little bit corrupt, a little bit wicked, definitely kind of disobedient, starts making all these kind of bad decisions against God. And finally, God gets upset and says, all right, you're done. And this is this is what it looks like right here. First Samuel 13, verse 14, it says this. God is speaking to, to, to Saul and he says, but now your kingdom will not endure Because the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Everybody say heart. He sought after a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So basically God's like, that's it. You're done. You had your chance, but you're too disobedient. And here's the key verse that I want you to think about. The Lord has sought for a man after his own heart. Now, that's a pretty big statement, isn't it? To say, I'm looking for a person who reflects and embodies my heart. That's a really, really big deal. So God tells Samuel, here's where you're going to find this guy that has my heart. I want you to go. There's this guy in Israel. His name is Jesse. I want you to go to Jesse's house. And when you get there, look at his sons. And I'll tell you who the future king will be. And this is what happens. Verse number six says that when they arrived... Samuel, the prophet, he saw Eliab, the oldest son, and he thought, "Mm, surely this is the Lord's anointed standing right here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height just because he's tall, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the what? Yeah, so he already said that he's looking after a, uh, for a man after his own heart. And then he even points this idea out that, like, Samuel, you're still caught up in the wrong idea. You think because he's big and tall and strapping and smart that surely that's got to be the one. And I've got good news for you out there today. If you're not tall and strapping and smart, you are all right. 
That's probably most of us in here. So, so here, here's what this scripture in this verse indicates to us. That God has a different measuring stick for who he uses in life and what he's looking for in life. As a matter of fact, I want to throw these up and I'm just going to rapid fire through this. Number one, clearly, God does not look at stature. So he's not looking at your physical appearance. Now, not only that, he's not looking at your pedigree. Do you know, many of you might not know this. If you go and look at the genealogies, you know that part of the Bible where we just skip over when we get to it if we're reading our Bible? If you look at the genealogies, there's something odd about David and his genealogy and his brothers and their genealogy. And when you start putting them side by side, it, is, it gets a little messy. And what it, it, it appears to be is that David is not exactly the full brother of all of his siblings. That he actually is the product of an affair. That his pedigree is not... As a matter of fact, there's this, there's this theological concept in, 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 in you know, hermeneutics, if you will. It's called original sin. And it's basically the idea that we are all born sinful, right? We just kind of adopted that from our sinful parents who got it from their sinful parents. We just kind of came into this world sinful. And one of the ways that guys will point to this is that David says in the book of Psalms, in sin, my mother conceived me. Like, oh, that's another verse that proves that we're all kind of born sinners. I don't know that. that, Now, there's other verses that can validate that. But if you look at it, it, it doesn't say that he was born in sin. It said he was what? Conceived in sin. There was some soap opera drama going on. We'll just leave it at that. But let's just say he didn't have the cleanest, best pedigree of all. Not, not only that, you know, there, there's nothing that indicates he came from wealth. There, there wasn't any indication that Jesse and his family were, were high rollers. They, they, they weren't like that. So that doesn't matter to really God. Next is this, his seniority. As we're going to find out, David had seven brothers older than him. And he wasn't even invited to the party. Okay, this is how bad it is. This is how far down the pecking order David is. Not only that, lastly, not even your past mistakes. Like, I need you to know something about the heart of God. We're going to discover this over these next few weeks. That having a heart like God's does not mean that you're perfect. Because none of us would measure up. Having a heart like God means that we are reflecting certain attributes that God seems to value above others. And that's what, and it doesn't mean that you're perfect, because David, if you, when we look at his life, David clearly made some dumb decisions, some sinful choices, some mistakes in his life, and that didn't mean that he didn't have God's heart. It just, it just meant that he somewhere down the line missed it, forgot, oops, made a bad decision, but his heart, what was in his heart? That's what we will look at over these next few weeks, because that's what God cares about the most. Let's keep reading. Then Jesse, he called the next son, Abinadab. And had him pass on in front of Samuel. And Samuel said, this is not the one. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. And Samuel said, this is not the one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to them, these are not the one. So he asked Jesse, he's like, I mean, like, do you got more kids somewhere? Do you have any more sons? And Jesse answered and said, well, they're still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. That's a key thought. He's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We won't even sit down until he gets here. How many know you can sense frustration? Like, look, I told you to bring your sons. Look, you wasted my time. And then can you imagine what the brothers were thinking? They're like, oh my gosh, do you know how far away he is? We can't even sit down until he gets here? This is like the, this is like the relative who wants to pray for 10 minutes before Thanksgiving dinner. This is like... This is going to take forever. Ah, anyway. So they send for him, and it doesn't tell you how long they waited. That's, I, I don't even want to guess. So he sent for him and had brought him. 
he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and some handsome features. Now, again, he was a bit young, though. And then the Lord said, rise, anoint him. This is the one. God said, I'm looking for a person who reflects my heart. He tells Samuel, he said, you're not looking right. God, I'm looking at the heart. And then he finds David and he says, this is the one. Now, here's my big question. Because I think this is the thing that that hopefully we all want to know. What was it about this guy that God was so attracted to him? What was it in his heart that God looked at him and said, that's the heart you want. That's the one I'm looking for. That's the one that can be the king. That's the one I can entrust. That's the one. Because when I look at, 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 at that idea and think, man, if this is the heart that God is attracted to, that's the heart that I want. What was it in him? And I want to give you just a few things here that I think David embodies and reflects even now and throughout the course of his life. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, number one is this. When you look at the heart of David, this is what you need to know as you look at his entire life, is that David was a passionate worshiper. Like this is a big deal to God, in my opinion. That there is something about the heart of a worshiper that God is attracted to. And now we begin to struggle and wrestle. Well, am I a worshiper? What does that mean? I don't know. Because here's what I need you to know. I believe that God is attracted to the heart of a worshiper because the worship is the thing that grounds you maybe more than anything else in life. Is that worship is able to give you a proper perspective on life, maybe unlike anything else. Because when you're going through your mess or you're going through your hard time or maybe you're just being yourself, there is something about being in an environment and an attitude of worship that grounds you, changes you, changes your perspective. Because when you're in the middle of your mess, all you can think about is your mess. When you're in the middle of your bitter moment, all you can think about is what they did to you. When you're in the middle of your fear, all you can think about is the thing that is tormenting you and stressing you and wearing you out. But listen, when you get into an environment and an attitude of worship, your perspective changes, right? Because you can't be thinking about you anymore. Because you're worshiping the king. And you're not thinking about your problems anymore because you're worshiping the king. And I believe that this is so important to your life. As a matter of fact, somebody needs to write this down. The songs we sing direct the lives we lead. Think about that for a moment. Because some of y'all got your nene going on, but, but you don't have Jesus loves me. Does that make sense? And because you know nene more than you know Jesus loves you, then, then what happens in life is, is that your life heads in a certain direction. You end up in certain outcomes. and You're like, why? Why is this all? Why did this happen to me? And I'm telling you, the heart of a worshiper, it somehow grounds you. And so changes your perspective and makes life not about you, not about your problems. But it makes it about who God is. And as long as you live that kind of life, your perspective will always be where it ought to be. And when you look at David, here, here's the other fascinating thing. When you look at his life, he's, he's known as being kind of a singer and a songwriter. When you look at all the book of the Psalms, all the different Psalms that are in there, David wrote most of those. Why? He just had worship in his heart. So he'd write these poems, he'd write this music, he'd put it all together, and he just wanted to worship. As a matter of fact, his first job, after he, he kind of moves forward, King Saul, the Bible says he's battling torment and stress and depression. And you know what they decided? They said, you know what you need? You need David to come and do worship for you. And David literally comes, and the Bible says that it calms the demons. And some of us, I'm telling you, the reason why we're depressed, the reason why we're stressed, the reason why we're so anxious about life is because we don't have a worshiper in our heart. And because of that, our perspective is always about us or it's always about what we're going through. 
I'm telling you, there's just something about it. Let's keep going here. Number two is this, is that David clearly was a fearless warrior. Like the big story that we all know about David is what? He took the ugly 10 foot dude and gave him the beat down, right? That's, that's kind of the big story that we, if you grew up going to church and you had felt bored Jesus, you also had felt bored David and Goliath, right? And so, so that's kind of the big thing that he's known for. But I'm telling you, he was, he was a stud before that. Cause when he shows up to the battle, he actually is like told to go away. They're like, you're, you're a kid. You're a shepherd, and that guy is ruthless. And he's like, look, this is what he tells him. He goes, look, 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 look. When the bear attacked my sheep, I killed the bear. And when the lion attacked my sheep, I killed the lion. And I'll go kill him too. And so it's just that kind of confidence and swagger and, and fearlessness. Like, like later on in life, his father, uh, or his future father-in-law, I should say, he sets him up. Because David is wanting to marry the king's daughter, Saul's daughter. And so Saul, wanting to get rid of him, says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go, and in this battle, I want you to kill a hundred Philistines. And you got to do something special with them, and I'm not going to tell you what he had to do. But I want you to go kill a hundred Philistines. And he did this just so that he could put David on the front line, and hopefully David would die. And David comes back, he's like, I got you too. I didn't get you a hundred, I got you two hundred. And so he's just a fearless warrior. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but I, I just need you to know this, that there was a... There was a fighter within him. There was a boldness within him. And and there was a courage within him. And again, when we look at the heart of David and we ask ourselves, why was God attracted to him? Number one, he had the heart of a worshiper. Number two is that he had a heart of courage, though. There was something about that. C.S. Lewis has the most amazing quote on courage. He says this. He says, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but it's the form of every virtue at the testing point. Like, because there's all kinds of virtues that you want to have, but here's the deal. If you have them, but you don't have courage, then you don't deliver on that virtue in the moment that you absolutely need it. Like, courage is the foundational one, because without that, you wilt under the pressure. And so David has this kind of fearless courage and boldness to just trust God and know that God is with him. Number three is this. David embodies this idea that uh, he's an incredible friend. And you're like, really? That's a big deal to God. I'm telling you, it's huge. If you were to look at all the Bible verses that actually talk about friendship, not just friendship between you and God, I'm talking about friendship between you and you. Let me put it like this. I think God is such a relational being and he so values friendship that one of the measuring sticks that he looks at is this. How do you treat your friends? Because the the way in which you treat your friends is an indicator of how you will treat me. So when you see like Abraham, he's called the friend of God. And, and, and to, to think about why would God look at it's because, because he knew what he could count on with Abraham. And I'm telling you that when you look at your, if you're a person that is constantly cycling through friendships, you need to analyze that. Because either A, you are a terrible friend, or B, you pick the worst friends. I don't know which one it is, but people that cycle through friendships, like you need to step back and say, whoa, 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 why does, why does it always have a new friend every six months? Why do I not have any lasting relationships? Because somewhere at the core is a brokenness that leads you to break your relationships. Are you hearing me this morning? And, and, and the value of, like Jesus says this to his disciples at the end. He says, no longer do I call you my disciples, but now I call you my friends. God wants to invite you into a deeper relationship, but I'm telling you what God values is God values your loyalty in friendships. The way in which you conduct yourself in your friendships matters to God. Let's keep going here. Number four is this, is that David, not only was he a faithful friend, David was a submitted 
servant. There's something about this. Now, again, where was David at when all the boys were getting looked at by the prophet? He's tending sheep. Like, that's what he's doing, faithfully tending sheep. As a matter of fact, the story of David and Goliath, the story that puts him on the national map, that gets him all the publicity and the recognition, that they start singing songs about him. The only reason that he even got to the battle of Elah, or the, the valley of Elah, where that took place, was because he showed up at his father's request to carry cheese to his brothers. Now, how many know you've had some lame jobs? Remember when you think back, my first jobs to high school, through college? You know, you had some lame ones. David had some lame ones. Cheese delivery boy. You know what? Faithful. Faithful servant. Faithful to his dad. Later in life, like the, the, the king asked him to do stuff. He's just faithful. Like in the next chapter, right after, after we're reading here. What is he doing? He's faithfully serving the king. Later he becomes the armor bearer to the king. Later this king tries to kill him. Still faithful. Still loyal, still serving the king. I'm telling you what, there's something about that submitted servant that God is attracted to. And here's my hope. And I hope you, I hope you got the same prayer that I got. Because my prayer is this. God, help me to have that heart. Help me to have a heart where I'm an incredibly faithful and loyal friend. Help me to be a submitted servant. Help me to be a passionate worship. Help me to be like a fighter and a warrior with, with courage. And I, I want to be like that. Is, is, am I the only one here today? I feel like I feel like I might be the only one praying this prayer right now. I, what, what I want for you and I is over these next few weeks is just a journey together to really look deeper into these things and say, God, how can I become more like this so that you would be attracted to me, that my heart might reflect your heart? Now, I, when I ask the question, where do you get these things? Because that's kind of a big deal, right? Like, it's not enough to know what they are. But part of the question is, well, how do I even get these things? And when you look at the life of David, two big things stand out. And we'll close here. Number one is this, is that David was trained in solitude. On the backside of the hill, taking care of the sheep by himself, lonely. Remember, they had the party, the anointing party. They didn't invite him. Like later in life, he's alone. Like God tested him and trained him in solitude. And for some of you, you need to dig down deep in your heart and think about that. Because some of us have a problem with being alone. Some of us are deathly afraid of being alone, of having moments of absolute quiet. That's why the TV has always got to be on. The radio has always got to be on. We need to be surrounded by other people. And so because of this, we never have these moments of solitude. But I'm telling you that God trained David in solitude. That, that, listen to this. Chuck Swindoll says it like this. Servant leaders in the making are first unknown, unseen, unappreciated, and unapplauded. How do you do in solitude? How do you do when it's just you and your thoughts, when it's just you and your heart, when it's just you and God? Do you have those moments of solitude? How do you do when you feel like no one's with you and nobody's for you and everybody's abandoned you and everybody's again? How do you do in solitude? Because here's what I found is that usually in life, it's when God is all that I have that I realize that he is all I ever needed. And it's in those moments of solitude where I so depend on him and trust in him that all these qualities begin to be forged. Number two is this is not only does God train David in solitude and you're not going to like this. God trained David in adversity. If you look at the life of David 
There's some incredible triumphs, but there's some incredible tragedies. Like there's some moments where he's on top of the mountain and everything is great. But most of his life, he's on the run. He's in hiding. He's, he's got incredible adversity. Like the end of his life, for example, he loses his, his, his firstborn son and he dies. He, he has this moment where, uh, you know, basically his, his, his oldest son at the time named Absalom forms a coup to overthrow him and his dad from the kingdom. I mean, there's a time where he's on the run from King Saul and he's developed his own little band of army and mighty men. And he made a bad military decision. And it says that all the men turned on him to kill him. Like, I mean, just some bad moments, some bad. And, and I'm telling you what, through the adversity, through the challenge, see, adversity becomes the crucible. It's, it's the, it's this little pocket that God places you into. And sometimes it reveals what's in you, but sometimes it develops what's in you. If you don't believe me, listen to what James says. And we'll last verse here. It says that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Like that's what we need in life is the adversity. Like the adversity is good. Most of us, especially as Americans, we try to live a life as absolutely pain-free as we possibly can. We try to avoid adversity at all cost. How do you do in the adversity? Put it this way. When, when you're going through the adversity, does it make you or does it break you? Do you rise to the occasion or do you wilt under the pressure? Because God is in you to help you overcome. And that's where God wants you to rise to the occasion. And he wants you to depend on his strength and his help and his presence so that you can become all that God wants you to become. Are you hearing me this morning? Last thought is this, you know, many times we ask ourselves the question, like, how's my heart? Like, that's a, that's a question I put out to you before. Like, how's my heart? Like, how's my heart, you know, in terms of like the health and the quality of my heart? Am, am I harboring bitterness? Is there hurt? Is there unforgiveness? Is there jealousy? Is there envy? Is there anything in there that would be kind of poisonous to my life? How's, how's my heart, the health of my heart? But now we need to ask ourselves a slightly different question in light of what we read today, in light of the life of David, in light of all that we saw. The question might not be for some of us, how's my heart? But rather it would be this. What are the qualities of my heart? Like when I think about that there was a worshiper inside of David, do I connect to that and say, yeah, I get that. I love to worship God because here, here's the deal. When I worship God, God is above all and it's not about me. It's about him. That I'm elevating God's presence in my life and it puts everything in perspective. Is there a fighter in you? Is there that courage in you? Like what are the qualities of your, is, is there a friend inside of you? I mean like the friend that's there, the friend that's faithful, the friend that's loyal. Like, like when your people and your buddies or your girls go through difficult times, are you the one that steps and says, hey, I'm there, I got your back. You need anything, you can call me. You need help, you can call me. You need a ride to the airport, bless God, that's a friend. When you got that, when you got, thank you, John, when you got that, uh, 630 AM flight and you got to lug three kids through the airport, that's a friend. When you got to move, oh, this ain't nothing worse than like moving, packing boxes, loading up a truck. That's friends. How, how are you? Cause, cause here's the deal. Cause many of us, uh, when we look at our own life, many times we can see that our friends always weren't there for us. How are you as a friend? Now, here's a question for you. How are you as a friend, not just when they need you? How are you as a friend when they succeed? Are you jealous or do you celebrate them? Because God looks at that and God says, you know what? That friendship is such a reflection. Because here's the deal. And here's how you can measure how you choose future friends. Look at how they treat their friends. Because I'm telling you, there's a cycle there. 
And when you see somebody that cycles through friends and don't treat their friends well, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, but they'll be different with me. <laughs> Listen to me. God looks at that. God looks at these incredible qualities. Like, is there a, a submission in your heart? You know what I'm talking about. Like, are you, are you the one that every rule bugs you just a little bit to where you just bend it because you just want to? Are you the person that when there's a rule there, you think, man, that's for other people. That ain't for me. When there's a rule there, do you, do you submit to it and say, you know what, that's, I, I, I'm going to surrender to God. I'm going to submit to God. Is that in your heart? Because this is the heart that God is attracted to. So here's my question. What are the qualities of your heart? And let us as Christ followers be in constant pursuit of these things so that we might reflect who God is in the earth. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, I just ask that God, that as we kind of open up the life of David, as we start on this journey today, God, that you would challenge us. That God, that today we might wrestle. Maybe today, Holy Spirit, you spoke to us, you nudged us. Maybe there was a cringe moment in our heart where we realized, you know, I haven't always been the best friend. Or, yeah, I, I, I haven't always been the worshiper. And sometimes worship makes me uncomfortable and it makes me feel weird. Why is that in there? And we begin to wrestle with and challenge the issues of our heart to say, God, I don't want these things in my heart, but I want a heart that is like yours. I want a heart like David's. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us as we walk through these next few weeks to journey with you, closer to you, so that we might become more like you. Give us your heart, Lord. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning for me?